Engaging presentations on the most urgent problem of our day and what you can do about it. Now, the End Abortion Podcast by Priests for Life. Well, good evening, friends. Pro-Life leader Frank Pavone here, National Director of Priests for Life. I'm with you live tonight for a pro-life prime time. And uh, leave me your comments, questions. Let me know what's on your mind. And we can have a good discussion here about um, uh, about, about pro-life progress that we're making. I have my laptop here. I'm actually controlling the broadcast from here. I don't have staff with me here at the moment. Of course, they were with me all day up until about two hours ago. It's been a great day, um, great day of progress uh, here. I'm getting ready to go to the Turning Point USA conference, by the way, Turning Point Action. They're having a conference just a few hours south of us here in uh, Palm Beach, uh, Florida, West Palm Beach. And uh, I don't know if I'll see any of you there. I, I suspect I, I will. Some of our viewers, uh, you may be involved in this particular conference. Charlie Kirk is the head of Turning Point, great youth movement, uh, great movement really of uh, American patriots of all different kinds, but he's really mobilizing the patriotic youth of our nation. And uh, President Trump will be there uh, and many, many other, um, many, many other uh, leaders in the uh, conservative and America First movements. So I'm looking forward to uh, Saturday and Sunday being among those friends and uh, and fellow patriots. <clears throat> so let's pray. And uh, we are indeed seeing more and more progress and, of course, more and more intensifying of the battle over abortion. And uh, really, that is as it should be when you think about it. Um, but I'm always eager to hear your your experiences in the pro-life movement and how I might be able to encourage and uh, guide you. This is uh, your program as much as it is mine, so feel free to um, uh, let me know what you're thinking. I can see it right here. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. You are the resurrection and the life. You are the way, the truth, and the life. You are the bread of life. You are the one who came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. Lord, those who destroy life are attacking you. It's as simple as that. Those who destroy life are, are rejecting you. And so, Lord, we ask that in some way, each of us might be a reparation for that. Each of us might be a, a force working in in the world and in the spiritual realm to counteract that selfish rebellion against life that abortion represents. Enable us, Lord, to be that force for good. Enable us to be that injection of love that says, I sacrifice myself for the good of the other person. Unlike abortion that says I sacrifice the other person for the good of myself. 
Help us, Lord Jesus, because we embrace this mission with joy and with confidence in your power, because you have, you have abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, as St. Paul writes to Timothy. You are alive, as Paul writes to the Romans, and you die no more because death has no more power over you. Well, Lord Jesus, if death has no more power over you, then, then it has no more power over us because we are your body, incorporated as members thereof. We are branches on the true vine, which you are. We are living stones in the temple of your body. So if death has no more power over you, there's no more power over us. If the Spirit, as Paul says, if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us, then He who raised Christ from the dead will bring our mortal life, our mortal bodies to life also through His Spirit dwelling in us. Death has been conquered. The prophecy of Isaiah has been fulfilled that says, I, the Lord, will remove the veil that veils all peoples, the web that is woven over all nations. I will destroy death forever. In the words at the end of the Bible, Lord God, when John is seeing that heavenly Jerusalem, will indeed come to pass before very long that death will be no more. That means that abortion will be no more. There will be no more mourning or crying out or pain for the former things have passed away. Lord God, one of those former things is this evil of abortion. It will be no more. It will have passed away. Oh Lord, how we long for that day. And when we come to that day, may we be able to rejoice that we did everything we could to make it pass away as quickly and thoroughly as possible. We pray with confidence, for you are Lord Jesus forever and ever. Amen. Okay, so let's see who's here tonight. And uh, good to see so many of you. And uh, uh, thank you for your, uh, your participation, not only in these programs, but in the, uh, in the movement. Um, you know, Tim is talking about the, uh, the Ohio election. Early voting is going on now for a special election, uh, election day itself, August 8th. And the purpose of this election, and we had a national meeting about it last night. We had the executive director of Cincinnati Right to Life, Laura Streitman, on with us. Uh, these are our monthly election calls to which you are all cordially invited to, to, to come and to participate, um, go to prolifevote.com. You'll see the information there to sign up. Prolifevote.com once a month, and we'll, and we'll be increasing the frequency as we get closer to the elections. We talk about things we can do. And we talked about the Ohio situation last night, among other things, and this August 8th election for which voting has already begun will make it harder to amend the Ohio Constitution. And it should be harder because right now it's only 50% plus one. And the reason it should be harder than that to amend a constitution is that the constitution is the basis of law. 
you can't pass a law contrary to the Constitution. If you do that, it's going to be struck down by the courts. And, 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 and so, therefore, because it's a more fundamental authority, because it's a more far-reaching authority, the Constitution should be changed only when there's more consensus among the people of that jurisdiction. The state, if it's a state constitution, the country, if it's the federal constitution. You, you've got, it's very hard to amend our federal constitution. And it's also much harder to amend this other states' constitutions, most of the others, than it is Ohio. Look at our federal constitution. You, you have to have two-thirds of both houses of Congress. I mean, it's hard enough to get two-thirds of either one house on any particular vote. You have to have two-thirds of both houses of Congress and three-quarters of the states all agree to the same thing before you have a constitutional amendment. So that, 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 that's why it's only been amended a little more than two dozen times, 27 amendments in, in what? It's going to be 250 years pretty soon. So the point is that by making the Ohio Constitution harder to amend, raising the threshold from half of the people plus one to 60% of the people, it makes it harder for these pro-abortion people to do what they are currently trying to do, which is to introduce unlimited abortion as a right in the Constitution. Um, first of all, the Ohio people are not, are not there. That's not what the Ohioans believe. It's not what Americans believe. And second, there is no basis for thinking that the Constitution of Ohio has anything at all to do with abortion. And this is an argument, by the way, that the Dobbs decision made. And we've got to go back and rely on the reasoning of Dobbs, which is, you know, we declare that the justices said that there is no constitutional right to abortion in America. All right. Talking about the federal Constitution. Precisely because, not only is it not enumerated there, it's not mentioned, but also precisely because never has a right to abortion been asserted in American history in terms of our federal constitution or any state constitution. Notice what they said. They looked at the history of the states because they're looking at the history of the United States or looking at each state. And they're saying there wasn't a law, there wasn't a constitutional provision, there wasn't even a scholarly article that asserted a right to abortion until the late 1960s rolled around and Roe v. Wade started to be argued. Where is this? This is coming out of thin air. So if that is the case for American history and the history of the 50 states, why on earth should we start inserting this invented right in there right now. There's no, there's no basis for it. Now, if the people want, if the people truly are convinced, the people of Ohio, the people of any state, that abortion should be permitted throughout pregnancy, well, they have a way to do that. The legislative process is not being taken away from them by the Dobbs decision. They have a way to do this. Inform your fellow citizens. Persuade your fellow citizens. Elect the kind of lawmakers you want to make the kind of laws you want. Lobby them. 
get it passed, get it signed, get it enforced. You see, for the pro-abortion people, that's a steep hill to climb. Because if you engage in the legislative process, well, 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 now you have to look at what it is that you're legislating. Now you have to actually bring evidence forward. Now you actually have to have debate. Now you actually have to bring forth witnesses, and those witnesses are going to be confronted by counter-witnesses. And you've got a process going on, and any citizen can lobby any of the lawmakers, and enough of the lawmakers have to agree, having heard the input of the citizens, The other side hates that, and they're afraid of it. And they should be. Because one thing that the supporters of abortion do not do is to describe it. Once you start describing it, people reject it. Just today, I had at this very desk uh, former Congressman Dave Weldon, Dr. Dave Weldon. Some of you may know that name. And if you follow the abortion issue closely, you know that there is a federal law called the Weldon Amendment. He's the one that is responsible for, for that coming about. Of course, the whole Congress had to vote on it and pass it and so forth. But the Weldon Amendment protects the rights of conscience, physicians, and entities, healthcare entities, insurance plans, etc., from uh, supporting, being involved in, funding abortion uh, against their will. So he was here. He paid a visit. He's here in Florida. In fact, now he's running for office again. He served seven terms in the U.S. Congress, but now he's actually running for state office because he can exercise that as a part-time uh, duty uh, together with continuing his medical practice. He's a, a physician, internal medicine. So you'll see on some of our programming uh, in this nine o'clock slot uh, coming up, uh, I, I believe it's scheduled for uh, next Tuesday, uh, this interview with Dr. Dave Weldon. A fantastic, uh, fantastic leader. And uh, uh, we were comparing notes about many of our friends who are likewise in Congress and uh, serving as uh, great pro-life advocates. Uh, and Dr. Weldon was, uh, you know, we, we were talking about this fact that uh, the supporters uh, of abortion, and whether in Congress or in the White House or anywhere else, they don't describe what they defend. Of course they don't, because it's, un it's indefensible. As soon as you describe it, dismemberment, decapitation, how can that be defended? And how can that be in anybody's mind, if they're in their right mind, a constitutional right? How could that possibly be? Sure, you want to insert it, the language in there, but you think that has anything to do with the intentions of the framers of that constitution? Or has any logical connection with the freedoms that that constitution is meant to preserve uh, sorry but sorry to say it this way but <laughs> then again i'm not you got to be insane this is insanity on the move and it's evil in the works is what it is and we have got to be as firm and as strong in saying that as we possibly can okay i'm just going to look at your comment i have a conversation with you here tonight I'll look at your comment. Oh, somebody's watching from the Philippines. Good, good, good. Um, 
It's a free country, Walter is saying, must return to the mindset of the American people. Um, you know, that's right. I mean, some people misuse that phrase, uh, don't they? Uh, that it's a free country. Scripture tells us don't use your freedom as a cloak for vice, right? And this is one of the things that actually the justices in the Dobbs case warned about this. They said, look, we as justices, we shouldn't be the ones deciding this issue. Because we can be tempted in this position of exalted position of power and influence, we can be tempted to read into freedom whatever policy preference we might happen to have. We can be tempted to say, well, freedom means this, and it means that, it means this other thing. All the while, it may not necessarily have anything to do with the intentions of the founders of the country or the drafters of the Constitution. So we got to be careful. And they said the best way we can be careful is to let the American people be the judges of what policy should be on this matter. And that returns freedom to the people. So it's a free country. To return this to the mindset of the American people is to say, hey, folks, we really do have the power in our hands to govern ourselves. That's a high responsibility to have. And that's why John Adams said, you know, this Constitution wasn't written for anyone but a religious and moral people. And George Washington said religion and morality are indispensable supports to this effort at governing ourselves. Of course, because if you're going to govern yourself, it means you're leading your country in a certain direction, which means you're leading your families in a certain direction. Is that the right direction? Is that the direction that's going to secure your good? Or is it going to harm you? How can you know that? Unless you know something about virtue, and unless that's enlightened by religion and the Word of God. Uh, Walter is saying, would not the U.S. Constitution restrict state constitutions from allowing abortions without a due process of the law? Okay, well, it's, the U.S. Constitution, of course, is, is preeminent. Uh, there is the, uh, the supremacy clause there. So state constitutions cannot, cannot contradict provisions of the federal constitution uh, or even a federal law. So, for example, this is why we're, we're, we're so intent on getting Congress to start passing some limits on abortion. Uh, the current Congress can't do it, of course, because of the uh, being a divided Congress between Republicans and Democrats. But, but in, a, in a future Congress that's under uh, complete Republican majority, if the Congress passes a 15-week uh, law, then even in states where there's the so-called right to unrestricted abortion in the state constitutions, the federal constitution requires that that federal limit would prevail. Now, without due process of law, that depends. Here we're talking about state lawmaking. So that is governed by the state constitution. So there would have to be a provision in the state constitution that was actually against the federal constitution. That doesn't necessarily mean um, 
I mean, if there's a different policy, that doesn't necessarily mean that it would be overridden. Um, but again, a federal law limiting abortion, well, if a state wants to, if a federal law were passed, let's say limiting it at 15 weeks, a state can still protect the babies from the beginning of pregnancy as an increasing number of states are doing. But they wouldn't be able to allow it beyond that point. And that's the protection that we want to bring about nationally uh, uh, for these uh, for these babies. Okay. Um, <laughs> Joseph is saying, I wish Trump were as president now. Oh, my goodness. You know, yeah. We need that. You know, I don't know how many of you watched my program at 8 o'clock tonight. I went way longer than I thought I was going to go. But then again, I wasn't surprised after it was finished because I started talking about the Trump rallies and how great they are and what the dynamics of these rallies are. We need him like right now because day by day, destruction, the destruction that's being done. It's 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 unprecedented. And it's unbelievable. So he says, you know, people ask him, oh, you think, can we survive until you get back in office? You know, uh, hopefully in January of 25. He says, yeah, I think so. But the prospect of another four years under this Democrat tyranny, I don't think that's going to happen because I'm not saying that don't work like crazy as if it is going to happen. But uh, the reason I'm confident here is that it is getting worse. And, 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 and for it to be getting worse, that's what wakes up a lot of people. We don't want it to get worse. But the silver lining in it getting worse is that people are going to say, I've had enough of this. And you know what? The Democrats have to own all the destruction that's going on right now. Because, you know, the Republicans only control one half of, 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 the, of the Congress and only by a very slim majority. And so it's like, okay, you know, it's your fault, guys. It's a Democrat in the White House. It's a Democrat Senate. And they're confirming Democrat judges. And, you know, you guys are causing the mess. And that's going to actually help President Trump in the general election. This is different from last time. Biden was hiding in the basement. But he can't hide from all the destructive policies that he has been uh, uh, touting. And it's amazing to see the mental delusion when he says that so many of these policies have been good. It's like, what? It's it's delusion. Uh, And so, yeah, they're going to have to own uh, all this, um, all this damage. But yes, we can survive. Uh, but we still, we, we can't even, <laughs> President Trump says we don't even want to think about uh, what would happen if it was another, another Biden uh, administration or Democrat administration. Um, uh, Patrick is asking, uh, what do you think about your organization? Here, you know what? I can show you these comments. Yeah. What, what uh, do you think about your organization joining forces with folks like Huckabee? I know Mike Huckabee. Uh, he has um, had me on his program uh, more than once. Uh, some of you may have seen me on there as a guest uh, at various points over the years. And what a great supporter he is. Uh, uh, what a great encourager he is of the uh, 
work that we do? So the short answer is yes. You know, the question always is what forms does that collaboration take? I mean, helping out and broadcasting and, and being together and reinforcing each other's messaging by being together on a program is one of many different ways. But yes, we're always looking to join forces. In fact, I belong to a meeting. It's a, it's a sort of a it's confidential, but, but semi-confidential. It's not like people aren't supposed to know that it exists. But 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 I belong to a, a meeting of conservative leaders uh, that that gets together nationally. Uh, about uh, gets together three times a year, and there's about like 500 people at once that that gather together. And these are, are conservative leaders, business leaders, political leaders, religious leaders, uh, pro-life leaders. Uh, it's a fantastic. Um, gathering. And what we do is, is precisely look for this, what this, what this question is getting at, you know, can you join forces? Can you work together? Certainly we encourage each other. Certainly we uh, inform each other. And, um, and I, and I, I, I couldn't imagine doing our work or going forward without that kind of collaboration. Cheryl is a faithful watcher for many years. Uh, I still can't comprehend these politicians fighting to kill babies. They have to think about the afterlife. They think about the four last things, right? You know, the four last things, death, judgment, heaven, and hell. Those are the four last things. They're real. And, uh, you know, what you're saying, Cheryl, it's like the saints have always told us over the years, uh, by the way, t tell me, who's that doggy there that you have on your uh, your <laughs> the the picture there of, on your profile? Is that your dog? Um, the uh, we love dogs here, you know, at Priest for Life. Many of you have seen our mascots. They belong to Janet, our executive director, but they're they're great doggies. Um, but you know, yeah, you, you know, the saints used to used to have uh, the monks, especially a skull on their desk. I don't know if there's any any of them that still do that kind of thing, but they have a skull on their desk to remind them every day of the last things, death, judgment, heaven, and hell. And they would ask themselves a question about everything that happened to them. And the question would be, what is this in the light of eternity? Now, it goes both ways. Uh Pleasure, success, fame, fortune. Be careful not to delight too much in those things because what is this in the light of eternity? Store up treasure in heaven, like Jesus says. But then sufferings, trials, persecutions, the kind of nonsense that I've been through, they all of you have been so supportive of. It's ridiculous uh, 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 smearings that people do and, and the weaponization of, of church government. You can see the weaponization of civil government against President Trump. There were hearings today, by the way, in the House of Representatives, the director of the FBI, being questioned about the weaponization of government. People are victimized by, by all this. Uh, and you got all this garbage being thrown at you and people try to ruin your reputation in various ways. What is this in the light of eternity? We will laugh forever. And I, I want to say that tonight to all my critics, enemies, smearers of reputation, you idiots out there. We will laugh forever with delight at the truth being made manifest for all to know and to see and to celebrate. We'll laugh forever. 
Mourning may last for a night. Sadness and weeping. But joy comes when the sun rises. Oh yes. What is this in the light of eternity? We've got to be careful when we uh, persecute people. We've got to be careful when we uh, malign people. For every idle word that is spoken, Jesus said, an accounting will be required. And everything that is done and spoken in the darkness now will come out in the light. Oh, one of you is saying uh, on the farm, another faithful watcher. 8 p.m. show, great show, definitely not too long. I, I agree. That was really that was a lot of fun. Uh, we had a lot to say about uh, these Trump rallies. Okay. Yes, Mike Huckabee is a uh, God-fearing man. Oh, yes, he loves Jesus. Absolutely. Um, let me see here now. I'm getting a lot of great comments here. So many at my church. Uh, okay, yes, uh, Tim, you, know, you always have a lot of good things to say. So many at my church will use the terrible argument <clears throat> that all we care about is babies being born. After birth, we conservatives have no further interest in life. Uh, you know... You know what I point out about that? I mean, obviously, we know how silly this is, and uh, we have so many uh, efforts and programs and projects and service to folks at every stage of life. Uh, you know, you look at the church, you look at, 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 at the Catholic charities, for example, the cluster of ministries that the Catholic church does. You know what I did one time when I was in, in addressing this argument, which, of course, the other side has used for decades, I did in a, in, a, in a homily I gave one time when I was serving as a parish priest before the, before the days of Priests for Life. I addressed this argument, and I, got, I, I took into the pulpit a directory of the Catholic charities just of the New York Archdiocese. That's where I was ordained and where I served. The New York Archdiocese, the directory of Catholic charities, and they had hundreds of ministries, projects, and outreaches to people of all ages and all circumstances of life. You know what I did? I stood there during that homily, and I read the whole list. I said, friends, I've had enough of hearing this nonsense about we don't care about people, this is ridiculous. And I actually read through that list. They were sitting there a long time that Sunday morning. And because we need to, you know, we need to be explicit about this. It's just, you know, these people are just, they, they just talk about these things uh, uh, because they have no other arguments. But the thing about this that I also point out that I would encourage all of you to say, too, is this. Why do we focus on the unborn? Why do we focus on those babies who are still in the womb? Yes, we focus on it. Our movement, if you talk about the pro-life movement, the pro-life movement right rightly focuses on a particular group of people, the babies before birth. And so they try to twist it into this argument that all we care about is babies being born. But think about what's the reality of the situation. The reality of the situation is we focus on the babies yet to be born and fight that they would be born precisely because the other side focused on them first. With no reason. They targeted them to take away their protection. 
The born have the protection of their lives. doesn't mean they don't deserve our help where they need help. It doesn't mean they don't have problems and threats and the, their lives are sometimes in danger, etc., etc. No, 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 but they missed the point altogether. The point is the other side focused on the babies in the womb before we ever did and said, we're not going to protect them anymore. We're not even going to recognize them as people. And so what do you have to do? You have to have a movement to correct the injustice. I mean, what these people say, oh, you know, you only care about babies. You only care about bringing babies to birth. Well, excuse me, you're going to criticize Martin Luther King Jr.? You're only concerned about bringing blacks to equality? It was because they were deprived of equality that he had to focus on them. We're trying to address a problem here. And you, so because so many of these people think, like you're rightly pointing out, it's a terrible argument. Uh, because they, It's because they think this isn't a problem that they criticize us for trying to solve the problem. It's a way of assuaging their own consciences. Oh, let's pretend that there's no problem here, that an entire group of people has been deprived of their most basic right. We've got to correct that problem. And this is where, you know, you've all heard me say, I think, if you follow my programs long enough, the, the, the term pro-life is sometimes too big for its own good. Uh, what do I mean? Well, why is an issue an issue at all if it doesn't have something to do with human life? I mean, what's the temperature on the far side of Jupiter? I don't know. It's pretty cold, I'm sure. But that's not an issue that impacts human life in our world. So you don't see efforts to change the temperature on the far side of Jupiter. Issues are issues because, the, because and to the extent that they impact human life. So in that sense, you could make the argument that every issue is a pro-life issue. Fixing potholes in the street. People can trip and fall and really get hurt. Cars can, can go out of control if they hit it the wrong way. Yeah, is that a pro-life issue? Well, in a sense, yeah. But then you, you empty the word of all its meaning. The pro-life movement has a specific focus. It's pro-life in the sense that it is pro, in favor of, life, that is the right to life, that has been taken away from a specific group of people. The specific group of people are the babies in the womb. Teenagers have not been deprived of their right to life. They have a right to life. And you know what? It's enforced. The protection of that right is enforced. No enforcement of any law is perfect. But your, your right to life, my right to life, we're protected under the law. They're not. At least not in, but now, of course, that's starting to change, praise God. But that's the whole fight, to restore that protection that was taken away from that specific group. And that's why it's perfectly right and just that we focus on that particular group. All right, let me see if I understand uh, these questions here. All right, let's take Yuka's question. What can we do to promote a long deliberation and discussion at the state and local level? As the founding fathers put, the structure of the government is only an auxiliary precaution. 
Um, yeah, this is, you know, this is, a, this is an important consideration. Uh, and I think that we need to do these things in, um, you know, like, like President Trump uh, says, and I brought this up in the previous hour, the, the, patriot, the reality of patriotic education, the need for patriotic education. Um, we need to understand how our government is meant to function. And you know how it's meant to function? And I think this is what you're, what you're getting at here. It's meant to function summed up in, 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 in two words, vis-a-vis -vis the government and the people. The default position is hands off. The Founding Fathers gave us a lot of freedom. Live your lives. Guide your destiny. Build your business. Have your family. Educate your family. Protect your family. Work and sustain your family. Create institutions in society that serve the needs of one another. Build your churches. Let your churches exercise charity. Right? Live your lives in freedom. Hands off. Government is supposed to be there as an auxiliary precaution. Crimes are committed. Government has to step in. Law and order has to be preserved. Things that you can't do on your own, that your family can't do, that the church can't do. Government has to be there. Protect us from foreign enemies trying to invade our country. Obviously, we've got to have an army. Uh, it, right? But it's precaution. It's, it's like hands off. And we're going to put up certain fences. We're going to put up certain protections. We're going to have a strong border. What a failure it is of government not to have a border. You don't have a border. You don't have a country. I don't know what's wrong with these Democrats. But uh, good point. Good point. Um, uh, Walter, another faithful listener. Thanks so much always for being. It's a great encouragement, by the way, all of you that come regularly, faithfully. It's a great encouragement to me. Has our Catholic Church bishops done anything recently to stop the slaughtering of babies? And when will they see the injustice done to you? Thank you for that. Um, you know, they spoke up. They spoke up recently um, when these uh, Democrats in the House of Representatives, as they've done before, you know, we give... Uh, Nancy Pelosi get, has gotten a lot of attention over the years, right? Fake Catholic that she is, pro-abortion advocate, uh, uh, extraordinaire. And she's gotten a lot of attention. She's deserved the negative attention that she's gotten. But one, someone who's just like her, a fake Catholic, um, you know, uh, it, I don't want to say anything, <laughs> say anything insulting, but. The woman is, is is despicable in many ways. Rosa DeLauro from Connecticut, representative in Congress, been there forever. Um, I don't know what's wrong with the woman, but she's one. She's a ringleader in these getting together these Catholic Democrats, all pro-abort, and they issue these public statements, and they try to make them so they virtue signal. Now, oh, we're, we, we stand up for the least of our brothers and sisters. Yeah, right. Every single one of them is in favor of slaughtering these babies. And what they're trying to do, in essence, and Biden is, tr is trying to do the same thing when, he, when, he, when on the one hand, he's celebrating uh, you know, Roe v. Wade, lamenting the demise of Roe v. Wade, uh, pushing for more abortion, and then claiming he's holding his rosaries and being a faithful Catholic and receiving communion. No, uh, 
what they're trying to do in essence, which should concern the bishops, and it does concern many of them, is to redefine the boundaries of what it means to be a faithful Catholic. That's what they're doing. You think you sit back and you think, what are they doing? Well, what they're actually doing is they're 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 redefining the Catholic identity. That's the job of the bishops. And of course, the bishops, they don't even have authority to change it. They're supposed to guard it, guard the deposit of faith. Um so they did speak up when they came out with these, these, these Catholic Democrats came out with this statement. Good for them. They spoke up about it, etc. Uh, obviously, they need to do more. And as far as the injustice done to me, oh, it was an injustice. Um, yeah, it certainly was. And you've seen me, I think, on these programs sitting here with my two feet high stack of papers and notebooks representing the 20 years, 20 years of battling against this injustice. And, uh, you know, right now, some people ask me, well, how are things working out or what's the, you know, the process that's going on? There's, there's no, there's no uh, a thing going on or process. They, they've made their decision to throw me out of the priestly ministry. Uh, and I just, I'm just standing up saying, hey, listen, this is more your problem than mine uh, because I haven't changed. I'm doing the work I started doing 30 years ago for the very same purpose, uh, with the very same commitment, and by the way, with the very same peace and joy, as those of you who follow me closely know, uh, I'm doing the same thing. They're the ones that keep changing this, the narrative. They, they are. I mean, the things they've asked me to do over these years, and, 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 and you know, when and they talk about the injustice, they've constantly... As far as this question of being an obedient priest, uh, first of all, there's many of those folks, and you've seen them, and you've heard them, and maybe, I don't know, if, I don't think any of them are in the chat tonight. They're probably off just trying to destroy some other, some other work of God. Um, they'll say, oh, but you have to be, you have to be obedient to your bishop. You have to be obedient to your bishop. Do these people ever think for a moment that maybe some of these bishops abuse their authority? It's like they, they can't even... They can't even think for a moment that that might be possible. It's like, oh, I got to obey the bishop. I got to obey the bishop. Of course, we have respect for the authority of the church. Of course, there's obedience required, not only to church authority but to civil authority as well. All just laws. What's our what's our teaching in the civil arena? You obey the laws as, as long as they're just laws. But if they're unjust, you have no duty to obey them. And then we, we slip into this mindset. It's like some of these people think bishop can do no wrong. And that's like a stupid way of thinking. It really is. It's really just plain stupid. People, anybody, any human being who has any kind of authority is capable of abusing that authority. I mean, can we get these, these critics of mine to agree with that at least? In the hypothetical realm, some of them you can't even get them to say that. They're under this, and, and, and see, this is where, look, we believe in the faith. We believe in the church the way Jesus established the church. That's why I'm not bolting from the church. I'm not leaving the church. I've asked, I had people say to me, well, why in the world would you stay in the church after they treated you this way? If it was just based on the way they treated me, then, then, then you may have a point, but it's not based on them. It's based on what the church represents. It's the, it's the body of Christ. It's the teaching of Christ. It's the grace of Christ and the sacraments and so forth. I'm not going to let some stupid enemies deprive me of being connected to that. 
But that isn't even the point. The point is that you have a situation here where anybody who has any kind of authority is himself under authority. It's not a one-way street where, oh, your bishop is just what? What is he supposed to be? Just a machine barking orders that subservient slaves have to obey every word that comes out of his mouth? You would think that some of these critics of mine think that that's the way the church is supposed to operate. How stupid. These are men called to be spiritual fathers and guides. They have duties too. First of all, they have a duty, and this reminds me of something, by the way, that I want to comment on. You may have seen it. We're going to go these two long programs in a row here. Um, but, you know, I notice with these programs, the longer we go, the more audience we get. They have duties, too. First of all, they're responsible for articulating the teachings of Christ, not their own thoughts, ideas, opinions, or conclusions. And secondly, they have a duty to respect the people they order around. Do they not? Are my critics going to be so myopically deluded as to think this is just some kind of a one-way street? Ah, oh, Father Frank, you got to do exactly what you're told. Well, wait one second. Are you the one that's been living my life for the last uh, several decades? Are you the one that's been... Where have you been? You know, you're living your life. You know, you have to obey your employer. Right? You Do you work for an employer? I wonder if some of these people even work. These critics, it's like they, they don't know anything about life. Oh, you have to do what you're told. Yeah. First of all, it works both ways. Okay? There's got to be a mutual respect. And secondly... Do you know what these abusive bishops have asked me to do over the years? Everything and anything positive that they've asked me to do for the advancement of the kingdom of God and, and assignments that they've asked me to take, I've accepted, I've done, I've taken. Even when I thought that they were baseless or ridiculous or unjust. But it's when they've asked me not to do things. That we've, found, that we've had a problem. Because it, they've asked me at various points in the course of these 30 years that I've been doing this pro-life work, they've asked me at various points, God forgive them, to stop saving lives. To stop speaking up for life. To stop doing various aspects of my mission, which had I listened to that, 50 people who are employed by this ministry would end up going home to their spouses and their children and their families without a paycheck anymore and without a job for no good reason. I mean, if they had identified, hey, you're, you know, you're teaching heresy, or hey, stop promoting abortion, Father Frank. You're promoting abortion. You're supposed to be, you're supposed to be opposing it. If I had been doing that, or maybe, let's see, can we think of an example of a priest maybe who's going around saying uh, 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 there's nothing wrong with uh, 
homosexual activity within the church or within society or within the family? I don't know. I mean, I can't imagine that there might be anybody who would be considered a priest, who would be going around even suggesting in the slightest way that there's something okay with activity that this word of God calls an abomination. I can't imagine that there'd be any... I mean, maybe you could think of somebody. So if they had come to me and said, listen, you can't, you got to stop doing this ministry because you're misrepresenting the gospel. Oh, that I would, I would listen to that right away. But it's posited on a mutual respect where they, out of respect for me, would identify where I crossed the line. There's only one line they identified that I crossed that justified them telling me not to do what I've been doing or say what I've been saying. And you know what that is? It makes them look bad, not me. My criticism of the Democrats. Oh, I'm not making this up and I'm not jumping to conclusions. I had those two feet of, of, of papers and notebooks here for a reason. It's all there. It's all documented. They told me to shut up at different points over the years because I was criticizing the Democrats for supporting baby killing. We've got to make a choice. We've got to make a decision right here and now. Is a political party that is going to promote the killing of babies to be tolerated or not? Are we to keep quiet? If we're told to keep quiet, or are we to speak? No, I will not be quiet about that. And if that's what they want to call disobedience, and if that's the reason they want to use for throwing me out of the priesthood, well, then that makes them look like the idiots, not me. That makes them look like the ones misguided, not me. And then this is what we've been dealing with. Oh, you have to be obedient. You know, dress it up in some kind of spiritual language. Virtue signaling. This is virtue signaling by the tyrants. You know, there's tyrants in the, in the civil arena, i.e. Democrat Party. And there's tyrants in the church. These are tyrants. I don't negotiate with tyrants. I don't negotiate with terrorists. And that's what some of these people have become, unfortunately. Oh, shut up, shut up, shut up. Oh, you got to obey, you got to obey. I'm just with some kind of spiritual thing to shut up about evil. No, you don't shut up about evil. Not me, not you, not any of us, not any time ever. All right. You know, Cheryl, I want to put this up here. Uh, and I, 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 I have great regard for Cardinal O'Malley and whatnot. But 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 she says here, I call out publicly Cardinal O'Malley in Boston, never get a response. Um, and, you know, there's a pattern, you know, again, I refer to that that big pile of papers that I have. This never get a response. That's that's where I I talk about the again, the two way street of respect that there has to be in the church and in the government and everywhere in the family, every place business, employee, in your work office. Authority is authority. It has to be respected, obeyed where, where proper. 
but it's always a two-way street of respect. And part of the respect that the authority has to give, and I always try to do this with my employees, if there's a decision that's being made, especially if it's like something they're requesting and you have to say no, give them a reason. Have the courtesy, have the respect, right? Don't, don't you agree? Does this make sense? Yeah, it's not, a, it's not a challenge to your authority to say, you know, you really ought to explain your exercise of authority. Now, I'm not saying there isn't, there aren't certain times where, you know, confidentiality prevents you from giving a, a full explanation because you don't want to reveal things that are going to impact other people in the wrong way. We understand all that. But that's not the default. That's the th- and the point I'm making is that it's so often the default, especially nowadays, of some of these, these, these higher members of the hierarchy, that they make a decision and they say, you can't do this, you can't do that, no, 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 no. And they don't tell you why. I can't begin to count the number of times that people come to me and say, oh, I had this great pro-life idea and I brought it to my pastor and he said no. And you know what the next thing is that I say to them? Yeah, and what was the reason? Oh, he didn't give any reason. You know why they often don't give a reason? Because the reason's stupid. And they know that if they say it, it will be exposed as stupid. Or the reason's partisan. See, the very thing, the Democrats, the leftists do this all the time. And the leftists in the church do this too. Because they're the same people. Cut from the same cloth. That they'll accuse you of doing exactly what it is that they're doing. We saw this with the Russian collu- Russia collusion. They were re- re- accusing President Trump with a completely made-up story of colluding with Russia, where they actually were. And and and, and you know you 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 see this with the political thing. Oh, but you're being partisan. You're being actually they're the ones being partisan. They're the ones supporting Democrats. They don't want to offend their Democrat friends, so they'll order with their Episcopal authority priests who are criticizing the Democrats to shut up because they don't they want to protect their friends. Oh, isn't that nice? They want to, I don't want my friend to be, oh, I don't, want, I don't want her to be upset when I go to the dinner party or when I have to ask him for money. I don't, want, I don't want to see tears in his eyes because, oh, those mean pro-lifers, that, those mean pro-lifers, they said something bad about me because I'm killing babies. Now, this is such garbage. It's unbelievable. Okay, so let's see here. We got a lot of great, uh, more, more great comments and questions. Um, the conscience, I like this, Joey. That's my brother's name, by the way. The conscience doesn't have a delete button. Doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out what Dr. Frankenstein don't understand. Point blank, do no harm. That's right. It's so simple, right? It's so basic. And that see, that's the that's the thing that distinguishes this current election from everything else in the past. That we're at the point now where the most absolutely most fundamental assumptions of a civilized society can no longer be taken for granted. That people recognize 
you don't do harm, that people recognize you don't kill babies. It's like it doesn't get any more basic than this, and yet we can't even count on that anymore. So it's like we're at ground zero here. We're at the root. We've gone down to the, we've hit rock bottom. We've hit rock bottom. No, haven't we talked over the years and, oh, I wonder when the day is going to come. What is, going to, what is it going to look like for us to hit rock bottom? Well, this is what it looks like. We've arrived. Okay? We've arrived. This is what it looks like to hit rock bottom. That people don't have any conscience anymore. And they're, they're not just committing evil. They're celebrating evil. We've hit rock bottom. So, a good point, what you're saying. Very, very good point. A very important basic point. Um, okay, so let's see. Is there anything else here that I want to... I'm going a long time again here, but uh, <laughs> I like that. Oi, Joey, again. Go get him, Trump. There's a billion souls behind you. You too, Father Frank. Oh, yes, there. We, we really... Um, I tell you, we, we really have uh, a tremendous... Retha, that's absolutely right. Retha says the Pope stands staunchly against abortion, always has. I have talked to Pope Francis five different times, um, uh, talked to him about my work. He's encouraged it. Uh, it makes you wonder, right? Is there some kind of schizophrenia going on at the Vatican? Uh, uh, well, they... Don't ask me. They're going to have to explain it themselves. But I can tell you, I've I had some great conversations with the man, and uh, he, um, oh yeah, he said some very strong things about about abortion. It's the actions sometimes. It's the actions that get confusing people. He appoints and whatnot. Oh yeah, I was going to say. Oh yes, and Tim, a great guy, Daniel. I know Bishop Thomas. He's one of the good ones. Uh, very outspoken. Uh, not only about abortion, but about uh, voting pro-life. A lot of great guys. Let's not let's not ever. Um, let's not ever give the impression that 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 we don't we don't know that there are a lot of great uh, a lot of great bishops out there. Um, thank you, Marianne. Love your show, Father. God bless you always. Thank you very much. Uh, but I was going to tell you about. Oh yeah. It's, it's, oh, thank you. I. I uh, how do you say your name? Uh, Cyberlinium. Oh, Cyberlinium Design. I'm a teacher. Okay. Well, God bless you. First of all, that is a vocation. Um, and I'm so worried about how young people see life. They laughed about how someone said abortion is evil. You know, isn't that disturbing? I know exactly what you mean. I know exactly what you mean. And it's so disturbing. We say obvious things, morally obvious things. And it's not like they come forward with a reasoned objection. They just laugh. That's a very sad commentary and a disturbing commentary because what it means is not only that they don't accept or believe the rationale that we have for our position. What it means is that they don't even believe that there is a rationale for our position. That's why they laugh. They see it as absurd. Think about this for a moment. You know, because a lot of things we can agree, we can disagree with a lot of people, but we can understand that they have reasons for thinking the way they think. We disagree with the reasons. We don't think the reasons lead to the conclusions that they come to. We come to a different conclusion. So we can disagree even vehemently, but we can recognize 
that they've got an argument of some kind. It's not persuasive to us, but they've got an argument. But when these children, these students, and we're not only talking about very young ones either, laugh at our positions, they have been so deprived of any exposure to moral truth that they don't even believe there is a rationale. They don't even think that we have an argument. And that is, they, somebody has really sold them short. Really, it's an injustice against them. Sold them short in a major way. Um, all right, well, I'm going to start to wrap up here. Um, oh, yeah, I keep forgetting to tell you one thing I want to say. And, and I, I think that um, you have likely seen this. Um, was the man, the bishop, who is in charge of the World Youth Day coming up in Lisbon, Portugal. And one of and a man who was also among the 21 that the Pope just uh, named to become a cardinal at the end of September. And he was talking about the purpose and the nature of the activities at World Youth Day. And he said something which, to me, was so disturbing and offensive and should be to all of us. You know what he said? When asked about the what the what this con what this event was going to be about. Well, we're not looking to convert these young people to Christ or to the church or anything like that. And he went on to say, we want them just to feel positive about who they are. What? What did you say? Am I dreaming this? Is this some kind of nightmare that I, I ate the wrong thing before I went to bed and it's affecting my mind? Say that again, Bishop. Say it again in plain English. Maybe, maybe there's a language barrier here. In what universe... Do you, come do you come off saying something like that? And in what, tell me what the universe is in which you can say something like, we're not looking to convert them to Christ. Tell me what universe it is that justifies you saying something like that. You are a successor of the apostles who gave their lives to proclaim Christ and convert the world to him. The apostles, at the foundation of carrying out the great commission given by our Lord and Savior, who said that he's the only way to salvation, go and make disciples of all the nations. Bishop, what that means is convert them to Christ. Why? What are you doing? I mean, what are you doing? Why are you getting up in the morning? I really want to know. What is it that you do all day? If you're not trying to convert people to Christ, what in the world do you do all day? What is your purpose? And what is your work? But to tell me in language that I can understand what it is. Are you with me, friends? I mean, did you see this quote? 
I mean, what is going on here? And the Pope is going to make this guy a cardinal. You want to talk about people that should be thrown out of the priesthood? Oh, we're not here to convert people to Christ. Oh, but no, of course not. No, no. Oh, of course not. I don't know what we are here to do. I really don't. I like roasting marshmallows. Is that maybe that's what this is about? So we're gonna have World Youth Day so we could roast marshmallow. I even have a YouTube video how to roast a marshmallow. Really, real do a real good job. Maybe that's what maybe that's maybe I missed maybe that's the maybe I missed it. And that's what we're supposed to be doing. No, friends, we it's time to take a stand against this nonsense. And it's gonna get worse. It's gonna get worse in the civil arena. With these people who are destroying America, and it's going to get worse in the church. I'm afraid it's going to get worse in the church. Uh, let me see some of these while I'm talking about this here. Some of these uh, latest questions. Yeah, uh, this is good. Uh, you're all with me. Um, there you are. There you have it. It's going to get worse. It's going to get more and more absurd. Just, you know what? We win. Because the more this stuff happens, it's just like all this, all this uh, persecution and um, this, um, all this legal action and all these indictments against President Trump. There'll be more of those too. Don't don't at all be surprised or intimidated or discouraged about that. There'll be more of those coming. But let me tell you the final thought here is this. In the political realm, if you want to do political damage to somebody, you've got to make people think different than they did think about that person, their veracity of what they say, and, and, the, and the, you know, the reliability of that person. You've got to make them change their view of that person for the worst. But all these things being done against President Trump simply reinforce people's view of who he is and who he has always been and increase his credibility because he's been saying for years there's a deep state excuse me and they're coming after me and they're they're against me and they want to stop me because they want to stop you and so the more they weaponize government just to stop us from electing him as our president or as even as the nominee the more they prove true everything that he has said that it's it, it they're just, they're doing him a big service. They're just proving, they're just reinforcing. That's why his numbers go up the more that he's um, prosecuted and indicted and all the rest. So, same is true in the church. There have been people that have been, been saying, hey, you know, that there's something just, that, right? I mean, you, you feel that people on the local level and all the way up to cardinals in the Vatican saying, hey, but there's something that, Something's not right here. And sometimes people say, yeah, maybe. I mean, maybe it's not right. Maybe there's a problem in the church. Maybe there's some stuff going on with false doctrine. Maybe there's some even uh, infiltration going on. Maybe, maybe not. And then you've got a major church figure coming out and say, we're not looking to convert the young people to Christ. And it's like, whoa. 
we were right for that unsettled feeling that we had. We, we were right when we said there's something wrong. You see what I'm saying? We were just, it justifies, it validates the concerns of, of, of the people of God who have this, what, the, what the church calls the sensus fidelium. We've got a sense of what the church is because the same Holy Spirit that wrote the Word of God it, it, it speaks in us and confirms the faith. So it's, yeah, like we know the difference between the true faith and falsehood. We know the Christian faith. That's the beautiful thing about the Christian faith is that it's wide open. There aren't, you know, higher echelons of people who have more, more of the Word of God than we do, more chapters of the Catechism than we have, or more insight into things of the Spirit than we do. No, the beautiful thing about Christian teaching is it's wide open. Like the side of Christ on the cross, wide open, the blood and the water spilled out. The water spilled out because he had lost the last drop of his blood. And um, are you still seeing me, friends? I see. I want. Oh, yeah, I think so. Something went wrong with my computer right there. Um, you understand what I'm saying? So it's wide open. And that's the beautiful thing about all this, that um, we know the difference between the true faith and falsehood. We know the difference between the Great Commission, make disciples of all the nations, and somebody telling us that we don't have to. So the more these things happen, and they will happen more and more, and it'll get worse and worse, and it'll be more and more absurd, but take courage. Because what that means is that we and our concerns end up being validated and our light and our speaking of truth shines even more powerfully in the darkness. That's whether we are pro-America, pro-life, pro-faith, pro-God, pro-Christ. That's it. So let's be encouraged. Thank you for joining me and uh, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for all the blessings that you give us and for the task you give us in this world, the task, Lord, of defending life, defending America, defending freedom, defending these babies, just building just building a nation where we can live at peace and, and love uh, our neighbors as ourselves. So bless us, continue to protect us, and we pray now as Jesus taught us. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. All right. I know that many of you were saying, hey, join us more. Let's do this more frequently live. So I will. It's, it's a matter of scheduling but we'll we'll work in more of these uh, more of these live programs so thank you very much for being with me and uh, connect with me as always on social media fr frank pavone uh fr frank pavone on all the major platforms and uh let me just see what spot i'm going to give you here at the end but friends let's also remember um we rely on you to do this work we need your help financially ProLifeGift.org. That's what I'm going to show you now on one of these concluding spots. Thank you for the support in advance. God bless you. Praying for you each day. And we'll talk to you tomorrow. Hello, this is Father David Begany, one of the many members of Priests for Life. This organization is one of the largest and most visible pro-life ministries in the world. 
Priest, the Priest for Life team relies on your financial support to be able to do its work, produce its programs, and travel the world to advocate for the unborn. May I ask you to support Priest for Life generously? Go today to ProLifeGift.org and give us as generous a gift as you can. Thank you for your kindness and be assured of our prayers for you every day. This has been the End Abortion Podcast. To learn more, to help end abortion, and to connect with us on social media, visit endabortion.net.